the Buck Off Podcast with Lane Grant. Hosted by Christopher Rennie and joined by Jordan Williams. Welcome to Buckeye Nation. This is your host, Christopher Rennie, bringing you another episode of the Buck Off Podcast with Land Grant, Holy Land. As always, I am joined by Jordan Williams as we try to navigate this tumultuous long off season. How are you doing today, Jordan? Thursday, late in the week. Um, yeah, I'm I'm doing all right. I can't complain too too much. Um, just been very busy as always. How about yourself? Yeah, you know, it's just, uh, you know, it's the middle of February. It's still kind of cold out. It's not like the best weather. Uh, there's no football on anymore. So it's dragging on, you know. Uh, I'm not even really going to get out and talk about what's going on in the world right now because we're trying to serve as a distraction to all the craziness. But, yeah, it's just there's uh, there's a lot going on. It's very exhausting getting on social media. So you'll probably see Buck off and at Chris Rennie CFB on social media a little bit less the next few days to weeks, depending on how it goes. But once I got past all the exhaustion and I got to talk about Ohio State football on the Internet, uh, it's all good anytime I get to do that. So as always, happy to be here. Um, yeah, so today we're getting into some recruiting stuff. Um We've been we've been kind of on a hot streak lately, so we're gonna ride that a little bit. The recruiting experts, when we're right only exclusively, we've got our big boards. Uh, you know, we're not the guys who are talking to these people every day. We're not trying to get inside information from them. These are just players we're looking at twenty four sevens composite rankings, the offers Ohio State's given out, and these are just players we want. The players we'd like to see. Hopefully some of you guys are with us, and even if you want to fact us, it's fine. We're just having fun. Uh, then we're going to get into spring football, not college, not practices. The spring pro leagues, uh, will they be successful? We've got two Buckeyes playing in them, something to watch, uh, but not a fan. Uh, stupidest thing I read, uh, me and Jordan are very, very impassioned to come, come that conversation topic and then we're just gonna go into some off-season hobbies because we got to find something to do uh, to close out the show that'll be our final conversation topic but until then uh let's get started so jordan uh recruiting the lifeblood of college football uh the only thing that really gets any traction during february uh i i think this is going to be a very interesting year in recruiting uh, you brought up some good points pre-show. You kind of want to get into that right away, and then we kind of go into our big board before uh, we have some fun just kind of talking about whatever we talk about. Yeah, no, that's cool. So this is this is not my point. Uh, it is Ari Wasserman's point. But I think it's interesting, and Ari's talked about it on a couple of shows, and then Ari and Bill talked about it on their show. And essentially the thought, well, not the thought, Ari's thought is Ohio State may struggle in recruiting this year, struggle relative to them, by the way. Like, struggle as in, like, he's saying he would be surprised if they finished, like, number eight in the country, which is a bad class for Ohio State. He's not saying struggle, like, 20th. Uh, but he thinks that Ohio State may struggle a little bit because the class in the state of Ohio is not good, which is where Ohio and every program in the country starts. They start at home. And then he thinks that there may be an uptick in some of the places that Ohio likes to recruit. Um, it's the second year in Texas, and they have Quinn Ewers, 
So maybe that helps them recruit. Um, Texas A&M is recruiting better. Um, at, at USC, which California was open, uh, is potentially could be closed. Um, Florida with Miami potentially could be closed. And the uh, supposed better recruiter at the University of Florida as well. Not saying that these coaches are the best coaches. Not saying that these coaches are better than Ryan Day or this, that, and the third. Just that because some of the places Ohio State is used to um, – being really good and getting players have new coaches have some things that may spark some interest that may get some players from those um, areas adding that to the fact that Ohio is down it could be a, a tough class for Ohio State so I think that's interesting I don't necessarily yeah. agree with it um, but I want to get your opinion on it and then I'll say my opinion on it. Uh, but like, what do you, what do you think, I guess, for the overall uh, concept of is recruiting going to get harder? Not are they going to be successful? We can get into that later, but do you think recruiting is going to be harder? Do you think that these new coaches at all these places have a chance to out recruit Ohio or, or, or Ohio state or will their cumulative impact mean it's less recruits for Ohio state? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting for sure because you think going into this, you know, you've got a hot new name at LSU or LSU and Brian Kelly. He's going to have to recruit Louisiana. You've got Alabama who's going to close up Alabama. Florida's got a lot of new coaches. So them having to build those relationships in the South at their new schools is an interesting thing to follow with. Billy Napier with Mario Cristobal, Los Angeles. You've got Lincoln Riley. So that's that's a, that's a big that's he's a popular name. Uh, I do think the one thing I know Ohio State does extremely well is identifying people they want to fit inside their culture who come in and impact it immediately. Uh, so Ohio State has that ability to be selective and go after who they want to. I think the new coaches and Perry Eliano, Tim Walton, they have very deep roots in the South. I know. Uh, Eliano kind of built Cincinnati Southern recruiting base. It so it's going to be interesting to see what he does there. Um, you know, I, I it's, it's really tough to say. So we could look at it in a lens for just Ohio State, but I think generally recruiting over the next few years is going to be harder for quite a few places. But when you look at impact, when you look at who's going to be in the top five, I don't think it changes too much because when you look historically, it's the same nine or ten teams who are consistently getting the top five classes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I do. And that's the thing that I was kind of thinking because it, it doesn't, you know, I, it was interesting because in my opinion, his assumption was that this is going to affect Ohio State, but it's not going to affect Alabama, and it's not yeah. going to affect Georgia, and it's not going to affect Texas A&M, and all of these other programs are going to shoot up. But here's the thing. It is going to affect them. If Alabama can't go get the star recruit from, you know, L.A., that's going to affect them. And there are yeah. two competent schools in Florida. So instead of Alabama's competition in Florida being Ohio State and Georgia, it's now Ohio State, Georgia, Florida, Miami. Like, those are extra schools. So, like, I just don't – I think the thing I disagree with the least is the assumption or the belief that it will it will affect Ohio State more than it will affect those other schools. I understand yeah, thinking absolutely. that – I understand thinking that Alabama may be 
immune. Um, I understand maybe thinking that Georgia's immune, but that still leaves Ohio State to be third, which is typically where they fall. Every yeah. once in a while, they get to second over one of them, but Ohio State is typically two or three. They haven't gotten that number one class. So if that's the case, it's really saying that, you, you know, if we leave Alabama and Georgia there, it's really saying that Texas A&M and Clemson and some of these other schools are going to out-recruit and have it better than Ohio State. And that I don't believe. Yeah, and I think a point I, I got to make here is when you look at how it's broken down, you saw Texas A&M rise and take however many five stars they did. That's just less five stars in general to go around the entire country. So that's already cutting into the talent pool for everybody else. Now you've got USC potentially doing that on the West Coast. You know, I, I think you see schools like Clemson, you see schools like I, I don't really think this is going to hurt the traditional blue bloods as much as people think because they're already competing with each other. Now, USC might win a couple more. Like, who was the recruit? It was Zachariah Branch and Zion Branch. Once USC got popular, they immediately transitioned mentally to being like, all right, we're going to be West Coast guys. We're going to go to USC. And that's going to happen all over the place. Alabama is still in a, an extremely talent-rich region. That's not going to change. Ohio State is still going to have to be competitive in those regions to maintain their recruiting classes. So the reality of it is I think there's going to be – I think there's going to be a little bit more balance at first. And then if the teams who are built for it maintain it, which I, I think everyone likes a shiny new toy, you know. It's one of those things you look at USC – how successful will they be next year? You look at Texas, how successful is Sarkeesian going to be next year? What's going to happen if Jimbo Fisher goes nine and three with all this talent he brings in? You know, those are the questions that'll get answered on the field. The one thing you could look at historically is Ohio state, Georgia and Alabama, even in their down years are putting together top five classes. And I think the bigger point you brought up pre-show and I think you said it was Ari's point as well, is Ohio does not have as many top 100 players as it consistently does. Part of that's Sonny Styles reclassifying and all that stuff. But that's a huge part of it as well. So if Ohio next year has 5 to 10 top 100 players, it inst- it automatically changes it back. You know, So it, it's just recruiting cyclical. Uh, every so often there's going to be a lot of coaching movement that's going to change the outlook for some schools and change the outlook for others. Like Oklahoma was a big player recruiting. They were a consistent top 10 class. What's going to happen to them? Those players now open up, you know? So it's interesting in that way. I I think that's kind of where I'm at. I think you're going to see a few names, get a few more big players. Uh, I think we're going to see the five stars kind of spread out a little bit more. But when it comes down to number of top 100, number of top 200 players, I still think it's going to be Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State consistently in the top five. And you'll see a mix of USC, Texas A&M, LSU continually bouncing around like we always have. Yeah, I think the the most important thing is if it's a one year thing, that's possible. You have to remember that like Florida, uh, Miami and Florida and some of these other places, they're not going to recruit super highly consistently if they're not doing well. And I'm not sure outside of Lincoln Riley how much these coaches really move the needle. What I think might happen um, more than anything is the ranking stay the same? One, two, three, four, five, that kind of stuff. But uh, classes stop. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. People, like, they just stop breaking the class record every single year. 
which they've been doing the last two or three years because it had it got super super siloed. So instead of Alabama, Ohio State, and Georgia having twelve five stars total together between the three of them, maybe they have eight. And the, and four or five stars, a couple end in, in, in up at USC, and one ends here and that, and that spreads it down, which brings down the total classes. But Ohio State's not going to have the number eight class in the country. It no. just not. It just may not be unless a ninety-four they don't player take average. Twenty-five. Yeah, unless they don't yeah. take twenty-five players, you're never going to have a class outside the top ten. <laughs> yeah, like it's going to be like you know they just might not have ninety-five average no more. It may be Alabama has the best <laughs> average at ninety-two. And then it's 91, 91, 90, like that kind of stuff, which is lesser than what it has been if you follow player average, but it's still the same number. That's what I think is going to happen. I think if these programs are good, no one's going to replace, like USC is not going to come in and get the number one class. I mean, maybe they do in 2023, largely just because there's so many five stars in California in 2023. I mean, there are three five-star prospects at one school this year in 2023. But like, they're not going to consistently come in and out-recruit Ohio State and, and Alabama and Georgia. What's going to happen is instead of being like 25, they're going to be like eight, which is going to help their program be better. But you also have to think like you're losing some schools. I I don't believe that Oregon's going to continue to maintain, continue, yeah, maintain that's a, top ten classes. So maybe that's Miami now. Yeah, a like, lot of those good players who are going to Oregon from Los Angeles are now just going to go to USC. So they're just going to flip flop. Yeah, I mean, I highly, highly doubt Oklahoma stays in the top ten. Um, you've heard it here first multiple times. I am not high on um on Dabo Sweeney Jr. I'm not high on a 60-year-old first-time head coach. I'm not high on anyone from Clemson's tree. Um, And I'm not high on him trying to bring the culture that they built, which worked for a little bit. But, you know, I'm not high on him trying to bring that culture to Oklahoma. I know you really like their offensive coordinator hire, which is fine. I know nothing about the guy. But in general, half of the coaches on the staff – are older people because he just brought back guys that he coached with when he was at Oklahoma before. Um, I don't think that I'm not saying they're going to entirely fall off, but if I were doing predictions for all of college football, I think Oklahoma state will, will win the big 10 next year. I don't think Oklahoma wins the Big 12, Big 12. I don't think Oklahoma wins the Big 12 again before they leave. Um, yeah, I think I, I, I'd agree with that. I think uh, when you look at the Big 12 in its current state, you still have Oklahoma and Texas. Um, I, and that's something we aren't we aren't even talking about, really. It's just that realignment that's coming here in the future. Like when Oklahoma and Texas move to the SEC, that's going to be another rent stone in recruitment. Um because that's just going to open up the floodgates for SEC schools to go into Texas more, into the places Oklahoma recruits more, and compete with them and take some of their recruits. Because, yes, like you in Texas, you're going to play five schools in Texas, so you're going to be able to go to every game as a parent. Now you're going to get these Texas kids who are always going to get to come back to Austin or always going to get to come back to College Station or even go up to Oklahoma, which is still relatively close to a lot of the – major metro areas in texas and they're all short flights away so it it really is there's so many moving parts and chess pieces that's why being one of the more established programs 
in a relatively consistently fertile recruiting ground, Ohio. And we said it's a down year, so that might throw a wrench into this season's recruiting a little bit if they can't land some of these bigger names. But uh, looking at it already, there's seven commits. Their player average is already pretty high. And it's just – it's. I, I don't think the effect long-term is as large as it's being made out to seem by some of these national people. I think still Ohio State's one of those brands who could walk into any school in any state and it immediately makes a statement, which is something I've read from a lot of these recruits we're going to talk about today. Like the offer meant a lot immediately once they got it. And now we're talking. So there's only three or four schools with that power. Uh, Jimbo Fisher's always been one of the best salesmen in the sport, but can he consistently do it? We'll see. Especially Uh, if they don't win. And the funny thing about Jimbo Fisher is half of that class is transferring. And that's not a Jimbo Fisher thing. A lot of people just transfer in general. When you stack up nine players at a position, that's what's going to happen. And then, and then you put out the depth chart, and you have a high four-star who's like, I'm 101 in the country, and I'm third on the depth chart because you you recruited four other people higher than me in the class. Like, a lot of those guys are going to transfer. So yeah, you, you can really talk. Out. You could really talk and be buddy-buddy, but once you're in the room, once you're competing for playing time, once you're competing for NIL money, there's going to be real conversations about playing yeah. time and, like, will I actually get on the field? Does Jimbo Fisher actually value me the way he said during recruitment? Like and you could talk. Staff sucks. <laughs> yeah, you could talk. Yeah, it, that's true. You could talk about like line shifts. Like, yeah, everyone on the defensive line plays, but there's still going to be guys who go in at crunch time. There's still going to be guys who get more snaps, and that's kind of where. Yeah, they stacked up a bunch of players this class, but that means next class are they going to be able to recruit these high level defensive linemen again? No, so that opens up that a little bit. So. It, there's a, it, it's just the complexities of recruiting will always be that way. And as long as you have smart people running it, which I believe Ryan Day has a good recruiting plan. I think Mark Pantone puts together a great plan every offseason and for every recruiting class. And, yes, we're not going to land every recruit. Ohio State doesn't get 1 through 25 at every single position. They don't get the best player. But they'll be able to land enough recruits, and they landed enough in the last couple of classes that I still think – a lull. If a lull at Ohio State's the sixth or seventh best class, I don't think that's problematic. I just don't think. I, I don't think it gets worse. I don't think they. I don't think if I could speak that it will be out of the top five. And if it was, like number five, I think it's a one year blimp. I will give credit to the fact that it may be harder, but that doesn't mean that they're not going to be able to do it. I just think it's, it's laughable. Be, it could be harder for everybody. Yeah, I just think it's laughable to think that Ohio State of all teams is going to be the one to fall off. Ohio State's recession-proof. Ohio yeah. State recruits itself. And for every single play, not that there's many, but for every single player who wants to step out of the South, Ohio is the number one option. Yeah, for, and for, you know, so. I want to add something to that. So the, the, the great coach, Earl Bruce, consistently 9-3, and three, was one of the best recruiters on the planet. He was honestly very similar to Jimbo Fisher, if we're being honest. Consistently really good football teams, incredible recruiter, uh, national recruiter, Ohio recruiter, did everything you wanted from a coach. Just can never fully put it together. John Cooper, after Earl Bruce made Ohio State more of a national recruiting footprint and incredible recruiter, won a lot of games. Jim Trestle, great recruiting plan. 
fence in Ohio. Ohio high school football for the 2000s was one of the best states historically, especially in the early 2000s recruiting-wise. Huge, great recruiter. Then you got Urban Meyer, one of the best recruiters of all time. And Ryan Day comes from that Urban Meyer tree a little bit and every single person from that tree is a great recruiter it doesn't matter who you are if you coach on an urban meyer team you have recruiting in your blood because it was such an emphasis on getting hired to those staffs that's not true it is every bill davis was not a good recruiter neither was the offensive line coach that's not true (laughs) well coach stud was a great a great recruiter and then he got old uh bill davis uh, we, we know he's kind of – you can't really use him as an argument because he's um, very much the exception. The wide coach wasn't a good recruiter either. Zach Smith got, got some good players. He, he was in the mm-hmm. top of the mm-hmm. He didn't get really good players. And he, he – Well, he like you're comparing the Brian Hart line. That's not, that's no, not like a no, fair no, – That's not even – I'm not even saying that. That's, like Austin Beck, Johnny Dixon, Terry McLaurin were all like top 100, 150 recruits. Like those guys were good recruits. Yeah, the issue with Zach Smith in particular is Zach Smith could only look at traits and couldn't find good players, which is why a large number of them didn't pan out, as well as the fact that he couldn't develop them. Uh, There was multiple, I mean, there was multiple names we can't even remember because they came in and transferred and and stuff like that, tried to play different positions. He wasn't the worst recruiter, but he was not a good recruiter. Well, and I argue he's another exception because he's, pretty much Urban Meyer's nephew. So, like, you got his best man at his wedding, and then you got his nephew, and those were his two worst recruiters ever? I mean, he was only here for one year, but the that one corner coach wasn't a good recruiter either. Yeah, but he was another late addition because Combs left to the NFL. Yeah. I'm just yeah. saying – not everyone on the staff is a good recruiter. <laughs> like, yeah, every, he does well, have most star. Of the, most yeah. of the good recruiters the, usually ended up going on to become head coaches, and then it's fair. their own game, that's and that's fair. tough. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Uh, so I, I do think that's that was a fun conversation. I think I don't think it's going to be that much harder for. It's going to be harder. It's going to be harder for everyone. But I don't think Ohio State's got as much to worry about as some of the other places. But I yeah, think it's the point. I think the point you brought up that makes it a little harder is the lack of elite state talent. Yeah, it's going to be harder. I just don't think the results will be different, um, which is two different things. And Ari is saying he would be he would not be surprised if the results are different. And I would be very surprised if they were different. The last thing I'm going to say about this as we start to get into our actual top players, eventually we're going to have to have a conversation that Ryan Day may be a better recruiter than Urban Meyer um, because his classes have all been spectacular. Um, and he's broken the record once or twice, once for sure, but he may have broken his own record for highest player rating and back-to-back years or like he did it in one year and then two years later he broke it again. Um and he has better recruiters on his staff, such as Brian Hartline and stuff like that. So if he keeps at this level, I know it's like maybe it won't be sacrilegious for much longer because um, Urban Meyer is doing everything he can to ruin his legacy. But eventually we're going to have to have that conversation that Ryan Day is far from a recruiting slouch and is doing things that no one has done. Even if you yeah. want to give credit to Urban to say he built it, Ryan Day has exceeded he's expectations. For sure. he's, and he's yeah. elevated it. He's and I don't think that's, like, that's not going to stop. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, 
Yeah, no, I, I, I don't think it's going to stop at all. I think, I think something that a lot of people underestimated with Ryan Day when he came in was his ability to recruit. But the yeah. thing that's always going to separate it, and this is what separated Clemson for six years or however many Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence were there, is Ryan Day is always going to have a good quarterback. He's always going to have good receivers. And if you have a good quarterback and a good receiver, it's, first of all, if you have a good quarterback, it's easy to recruit. Every, it's easy to recruit everything. Um, that's that's so, for one, but um, and he's always yeah, gonna have good running backs, and he's always gonna have great offensive recruits. And even if we don't get that five star offensive lineman, nope, I still trust when everyone. No, no, no. I nope. When we start getting those, I know what well, you're I saying, just, but I just can't. One, but Justin Fry had one of the best offensive lines in the country with all three star recruits. This is true. So, Which is exciting. Hey, you don't have to preach the Justin Fry gospel to me. I'm with you. Like, we're, so they, we're, we're there. I'm excited. So a lot of these players I put on the list are – it's a good mix, actually. Uh, but I, I'm excited to see what this staff is made of. I, I, I will say, before we get into our class and who we want, that's what I'm excited about. We're going to see what Perry Eliano, what Tim Walton's got when it comes to these guys. This is this is true, and I also do think that is one thing. Like I said the last thing, but now this is really the last thing. While some of these places have new staff, so do Ohio State, and the staff has gotten younger, the staff has gotten more diverse, the staff has gotten more dynamic, and so that should also help in recruiting. I mean, if you lose a couple of players, but you start getting in one position, but you start getting five-star offensive linemen, it evens out because George, Justin Fry is going to be a better recruiter um, than – what we had previously, right? So it's like, I mean, again, I think if anything happens, is it gets hard on everyone. And the, the average rankings go down for everyone. And we stop getting to the point where every single year, the highest player average gets broken. broken. Like that yeah. record's going to stop getting broken, but those one through fives are going to be the same schools. Absolutely. I, I agree with that. I do. Uh so recruiting big boards, here we go. So I, I have in our notes, I've got the ones we have the same highlighted in green, so we'll monitor it that way. I've got the ones we differ, not differ on because we want all these players, but we have some different people on our list, and they're in yellow. So do you, so do you want to start get, and list all the ones we have together first and then do yeah. the ones that are separate? That's kind of what I was thinking here. So uh, we'll, we'll just start with, I think, arguably the best player on the board right now for Ohio State. It, is a guy by the name of Richard Young. Uh, I, I think uh, he's nationally ranked 18 in the composite, but I, I turned on his highlight tape a couple days ago, and he is one of the most dynamic players I've seen, like from a straight football standpoint. And um, he, if he'd come in next year, and Travion Henderson would have one more year, he'd have a good group of running backs with Richard Young. And, it really is – he's a true heir apparent. He's big. He's physical. He's incredibly fast. He has that same explosiveness as Henderson, and I would just like to get him locked in and get his pen to a paper as soon as possible because uh, he's special. He's an incredible football player. Yeah, essentially you tell him who, – who is it? Who is it? Who is it? Oh, I'm trying to think of the comparison. Is it Mike Weber with Ezekiel Elliott? No, who was it? I can, Okay, it doesn't matter. I can't think of the comparison that I want to think because I know it's not J.K. because J.K. Um, started immediately as a freshman. What I, essentially what I was JK trying to say. J.K. probably. 
Yeah, essentially what I was trying to say is you just tell them it's what we've done before. We've had a starter who was a three-year guy. We've had a freshman who was the backup. He got 700, 600 yards and 100 carries his freshman year, and then he was the starter the next two years. It's like you're not going to be the, the guy, but you can be the backup. And the backup at Ohio State, again, 600, 700 yards, uh, 100 carries, and you get to play in some blowouts for a whole quarter where you get to you know have a 200-yard game or a 100-yard game and make some noise and get some NIL money. And then when he goes to the league as the first running back off the board – then you get to be the guy. That's a recruiting yeah. pitch I'd accept. Absolutely. And he, he's a player. I mean, if you look at his offer list, it's one of those lists that's like, if you're a school and you're a Division One football program, you've probably offered Richard Young because just having that offer out there is a type. It's just the type of player he is. And I, I don't know, like, if he be – I mean, Ohio State's gotten players of his level at the running back position. So it's really just a matter of – outwitting Alabama, outwitting Clemson, and just it, it's going to be a battle of big-time Southern recruits for a recruit in Florida. Florida's obviously trying to get on this. Uh, so Richard Young, I, I think he's just one of those guys that if you get him in your class, your class, uh, he, he's one of those players, you know, it's like when you land the elite quarterback, it affords you like three or four misses at the bottom of your class. Richard Young, as a running back, probably affords you one or two misses if you can land him because he's one of those guys who makes up for those little holes you might have. Yeah. And he also doesn't feel like a guy that you can't get like there, like he's not on either one of our lists, but I know there's a, a corner. I can't think of his name right now. He's like the number one corner in the country, uh, or number two corner in the country. He's from Florida or something like that. That Ohio State's yeah. after. And he just seems like a guy that we're not going to get no matter what. Um, that's why sure he's not on our list. All South 100%. Yeah. But like Richard Young is very, Honestly, I'm not going to say this about many people, but he is one of the people on this list that I would be surprised if we don't get. Um, yes. I think that he is an Ohio State lean. I think that um, that we've done a really good job with him. I think that the success of um, Travion Henderson and all of the Ohio State running backs is going to be something that's very intriguing to him. And if Tony so, Alford is the coach of running backs for Ohio State the next three years. Richard Young's going to be on the roster. Yeah, so I think we're good. I think I think we yeah. get him. And, and we're it, not going to get everyone on these not, Like it's really just like like you look at the six six backs, the last six running backs Ohio State's had. It's been absolutely incredible. Yeah. So the six start with Zeke or go before Zeke? Because like, where's Beanie Wells in that? Where's you know? Yeah, it, I was trying to more leaning towards all of Tony Alford's guys with that. Okay, I was gonna say I'm just saying every running back Ohio State has had since Maurice Claret. It's been good. Like, if the worst running back Ohio State has had is Mike Weber, you're doing a good job because Mike yeah. Weber was good. Like Mike Weber got legitimate NFL playtime. Yeah, he just wasn't JK. <laughs> it's like, yeah. So, so it's if the worst running back that you've had is Master Teague, you're doing a good job. Master Teague's a good running back. He's just he's just not dynamic. He fit a certain purpose. But if this was the freaking 90s, Master Teague may be the best running back in the country. So like, yeah, absolutely. He's kind of built just like Feeney Wells. So like, this shows how much the game's changed. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, yeah. So I, th- I think Richard Young, I think that's the guy that we get. So let's let's go. Uh, we'll talk, we can go to this next one. We can talk about both these guys together. 
it because yeah. they're both on my list because I would like to get both of them and you have them as either or. Um, Carnell Tate and Brandon Ennis, the number one and number two wide receivers in the class. I believe that they're both teammates at IMG. So getting one uh, or both. I'm pretty sure. Doesn't Ennis go to Heritage or whatever it's called? Does Do they? Okay, maybe I'm wrong about that. You're probably right. I don't think they're both at IMG. I just made that up, and I'm lying. Yeah, it's right. we're only lying. recruiting experts when we're right. And yeah, this is the thing we always have to make very abundantly clear. Uh, but yeah, um, where is the American Heritage? Yeah, the school in Florida. Okay, so okay but they're still in Florida. They're Maybe both Florida more. kids. Oh, well, Carnell Tate's not a Florida kid. So yeah, so you well, said had a. Either or. in Florida. Yeah, IMG Academy, American Heritage. They play each other every year. It's always an incredible football game. So the reason I have Carnell Tate is because he's originally from Chicago. He's a recruit that Notre Dame wants. It's, like, it's a must-have for Notre Dame, so that means it's a must-have for Ohio State to keep Notre Dame from being happy. Uh, I think I want Carnell Tate more. I, they're very uh, – I, I think Carnell Tate – uh, is exactly the type of receiver you bring in the room. And I'm not saying Brandon Ennis isn't. I just think if you're going to have to zero in on one, you get the one kid whose family's from the Midwest. I think it says a lot more. Brandon Ennis is a Florida kid. Uh, not that there's any knocks on it. He's just got a lot more competitors for him. Like you said, I think Brian Hartline, best recruiter in the country, he could lock them both down. Uh, so I think the goal would be to get them both, continue with that dominant, getting the top two of the top five receivers in the class. Uh, but Carnell Tate, um, I put him on my list because I think he's a must-have for different reasons than Brandon. It's like being the number one receiver in the country, you're a must-have for that reason. Being the number one receiver from the Midwest originally, playing it at IMG Academy makes you a must-have because you got to lock down all the Midwest players you can if you're Ohio State. Yeah, the other thing for me, and this is just a personal thing, and I know that this, this doesn't always matter, but um, Cardinal Tate's 6'2", Brandon Ennis is six foot. Um, Ohio, I mean, at this point in time, you can get up, you can get up, it doesn't matter. But Ohio State has leaned toward smaller receivers recently, and I think it would be good to have that balance uh, and, and to keep some taller guys there. And so on top of, you know, I think those extra two inches matter. Like, like if you're looking at two players who are pretty much rated the same, are going to come into your class and do a lot, and you look at the players that Ohio State has, I want the guy that's 6'2", that's 6'2", 185, which means he's going to get you 6'2", 200, 6'2", 197. Like, I want that guy yeah, and not the guy that's 6'190". Um because you can add weight, you can lose weight, this, that, and the third. You can't add height. And I just think that height is something that you always need uh, on a team. And so yeah, because I agree we re- with everything. Yeah. We really liked Caleb Brown last year, and he's more of the slot type, 5'10". A lot of the receivers they got in their last class are in that smaller size. So I, I get what you're putting down there. And it's not like, obviously, I want Brandon in. It's like, I don't want Ohio yeah, State fans to be like, oh, this idiot doesn't want Brandon in. He's the best friend. No, I want him. I'm just saying, if I had to pick between the two, I'm taking the kid from Chicago away from Notre Dame. Because Brandon is Brandon is going to go to Alabama, Georgia, or Ohio State, or something along those lines. Oh, oh, USC maybe. Who knows? You know, that's kind of the crazy thing about his recruitment so far. But Carnell Tate, it's, it's Notre Dame, it's Ohio State. Like, this is a must-win battle. 
Yeah, facts. Y'all know I like to uh, go down the roster occasionally. So let's go down the roster. Julian Fleming is 6'2", 207. He hasn't worked out, but we both think he's going to break out this year. So he's a taller wide receiver that we have. Cameron Brab is six foot. Uh, let's see. As I keep hey. going, Jaden Ballard is six. Two. He's six two. I did not know that. Okay, I he was six four, but that's just. Oh, you thought he was taller? Yeah, I thought he looks big on film, like in his high school. I didn't know film. much about Jaden Ballard, which is crazy because he's from Maslin, which is down the street from where I'm from, and I probably should have known more than him about him. Jackson Smith and Jigba is six foot. Emeka Buka is six one. Um, yeah, Jaden Ballard really just kind of like slipped. Which is crazy because you should you I feel like you should know about local prospects. Marvin Harrison is six three, which shout out to him. He's gonna be the yeah, next he's great. Gonna be. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe they haven't all been it short. It feels like it feels like one tripping? like I feel like they've been short. Well, that's the thing. They're all in that six foot range, except I know Caleb Brown's a very definitive five ten. Uh, I know that was a very big part of his recruitment, but he's got incredible bounce. And if you want height, and this isn't a guy we have on either of our lists, but it's a guy Brian Hartline's extremely high on. It's Kyler Casper uh, from Gilbert, Arizona. He is six foot five, uh, which is something I don't know the last time Ohio State's had a receiver that big. Um, it was under the one guy who only looked at traits but could never develop talent. Yeah, it probably Ben Victor is the only guy in that height range. I think he was six four. Um, uh, Austin Mack was like 6'3", 6'4". Yeah, he was a 6'2", like 215 guy. I, I thought he was 6'3". Yeah, I was the same thing where I thought he was a little taller. But they, they also had that uh, Torrance Gibson or whoever who was tall. They had a couple of those guys come in that transferred. So yeah. Like that's, that's kind of what they were getting at. They were trying well, to get D. those Scott guys. was tall, but he got moved to tight end. Yeah, he's 6'3". Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, we like there's a very like when you look at Olave, when you look at Wilson, when you look at Jackson Smith and Jigba, they're almost built identically, all three of them. Yeah, and, and that's that, like they're in that so, they're in that mode, so it's cool. And that's uh, like, yeah, Caleb Burton that's is five eleven. Oh my god, he's five eleven, one sixty nine. Yeah, so they got some smaller guys this past one. Yeah. So I, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, Keon Graves is six foot one seventy five. I think we're getting towards the end of the roster. Some of these guys don't even have pitchers no more. Uh, but yeah, so it's just like you know, I think that if I had to pick one, which I'm not picking one, I I think it's up to Brian Hartline to go get both. But if I had to pick one, I'm going with the taller guy. Yep, I, I'm I'm with you on that. Uh, I I just think it all comes down to just beating Notre Dame for me. Uh, that's what it comes down Knicks. to for me. Like Ennis, Ennis is like if Ohio State gets Ennis, that's just like icing on the cake. So I, I think they're very they're both priority recruits. So I think that I think yeah. our top three, I think those are the three most important skill position recruits we have in this class. Yeah, and the thing is, as crazy as the recruiting has been, you you have to keep recruiting because we're losing two wide receivers this year. We're losing. Um, uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba next year, and potentially if Julian Fleming has a breakout year, is he going to stay in college and, and try to get risk getting injured again? Probably not. And then the year after that, you're definitely losing Emeka Igbuka or and or Marvin Harrison Jr. If if and when both of them break out, so 
we're in a position where we could lose two wide receivers a year, not to, to and that's just to the draft. Not to mention if anyone gets tired and transfers this kind of that, this that and the third, you really have to keep this up at all times. Yeah. So why not get both? Yep, gotta get both. That's that's the uh, that's the final thing. All right, so uh, let's let's switch to the defense here real quick. Uh, we both have AJ Harris on our list of cornerback. Uh, you told me he's from he's from he plays in Alabama. He's from around Alabama. Extremely talented player. Kerry Combs had an incredible relationship with him. Uh, he's Ohio State's in their fi- his final list. He's going to be visiting Ohio State. Uh, Huge recruit, honestly. If you could go into the South, and this is where Perry Eliano and Tim Walton have built their recruiting base. Their that's their reputation as Southern recruiting. Those two guys. If you can go in as Perry Eliano, uh, beat Alabama, beat LSU, beat those teams around them. This is a statement recruitment. This is a huge recruitment for the new defensive backs coach coaches. Thanks. And here's the thing: not that this is how Alabama thinks, because it's not. But there are two other top three or top four corners in the state of Alabama. So they can lose A.J. Harris, you know? Yeah. They can lose him. They Just go get the other guys and still end up with the number one recruiting class. Let us have A.J. Harris. Um, I think it's interesting. I think it's one of those things where, yes, you had a good uh, – relationship with Kerry Combs, but you also liked Ohio State. And so it's up to those guys to mimic that relationship or make him realize that Ohio State was the calling card. There's absolutely no way he goes to Cincinnati. If he goes to Cincinnati, Kerry Combs is a God tier recruiter and Yeah. And if that does happen. If that does happen, I just want to say, Ohio State fans, don't say a word, man. He wasn't staying on as a defensive backs coach. He wasn't going to do that. Yeah, you saw the defenses. Do it. You saw the defenses he put on the field. You saw them. that's why he got fired. It wasn't because he wasn't a good recruiter. It wasn't because he couldn't coach defensive backs. It was because he was hired to be a defensive coordinator, and he did a terrible job. Well, well, didn't you know that when fans, you know, when fans pick the staff, they forget that people are human. So it's like it's very easy to say, oh, just give him the same title and let him stay because in their mind, that means he's going to stay. There's absolutely no chance in the world that Kerry Combs was just wanted to move on and didn't want to take a step back. If you gave him the title he deserved of co-DC, he was going to stay at Ohio State forever. So um, Ohio State fans are going to say something because these coaches aren't human. And they're going to stay and do whatever you imagine them to do because they don't have human emotions. So yeah, and all Ohio they had State to do was give them the code DC title. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, obviously. But, uh, but yeah, no. So I think it's an extremely – I think if I had to rank a defensive recruit where it's like this guy's a statement, it's absolutely Harris. Like if they get him, it's, it's an incredible statement. I think my statement, I mean, Harris is the obvious one, but my statement would actually be a different defensive player, and it would be Troy Bowles, who is also both on our list. Yeah, um, we're getting to him right now. Like, like Troy, Troy Bowles came out of nowhere. It's like Troy Bowles, and I'm like, is this, is, is this the son of Todd Bowles? And it is, and it's like Ohio State is on a linebacker and Florida and on him early, like, to me, that's a statement. Like, Ohio yeah, State for sure. recruiting has has not been great recently, if we're being honest. Like, 
obviously this last class was great, but they were also both in Ohio. Like when, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I may be, but like when is the last time Ohio State won in a, a, a linebacker recruitment since Malik Harrison? Like Malik Harrison was a really big one. Raekwon McMillan was a really big one. But I feel like some of the other guys, especially the ones who haven't panned out, like they weren't those top of the line, four star, five star guys. And I'm not saying they were scrubs that, don't get yeah, me wrong. I mean, but like guys we like, haven't went somewhere and got the linebacker prospect out of Florida, out of Texas, out of wherever in a while. And so, I, yeah. for me, I think Troy I think, Bowles is that. And I think like that's like the Gerard thing Mitchell, like guys like him, they weren't from Ohio. Uh, but, like, they Dallas, like, but they didn't pan out. They were huge recruits. They just didn't pan out. It's not even that they didn't pan out. They weren't huge recruits. Like, I like. I don't think like they were the you know I don't think they were on Troy Bowles level I don't think they were on Malik Harrison's level they like they were four star recruits but like there's a lot of four star recruits and I'm not trying to minimize how good they were but I'm saying it didn't feel like when they went to Texas and got Malik Harrison it didn't feel yeah. like when they went to wherever and got Raekwon McMillan like they it didn't feel like they went down somewhere to the west coast or down south and stole a prospect from Alabama stole a prospect from Texas stole a prospect from wherever that like everyone wanted um, and yeah. I think Troy Bowles is that prospect and, and that would get us back to what we used to do because we used to get those linebackers yeah and I think uh, Troy Bowles is interesting because uh, he did transfer High schools. So um, he was a guy who played in New Jersey. I honestly can't even remember what high school it was at, but um, he played in New Jersey. It's an area Ohio State recruits extremely well. So um, his dad obviously got the defensive coordinator job in Tampa Bay. So that meant he was moving, and he's been an incredible player in Florida. And I, I, his athleticism pops off the screen when you watch him. And uh, the next guy I think we're going to talk about, but I think we're going to take a quick break, is also a linebacker who is in kind of that same vein, a Southern linebacker. You want to see Ohio State go in and get him. Uh, but, yeah, Troy Bowles, I, I, he's on both our list for a reason. He's an elite linebacker prospect. He's a top 100 recruit. He's going to be a guy a lot of teams covet. And I think Ohio State, from everything I've read, he's in the lead here of uh, the Buckeyes are. So, uh, we're going to take a quick break here. We're going to come back. We're going to keep talking about linebackers and more defenders. And then we're going to finish up our recruiting big board. Um, see you guys on the flip side. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you guys are enjoying the show. Uh, we're, we're, we're opening up our recruiting expertise a little bit more. We're putting together a little bit of a recruiting big board. Uh, hope you guys are enjoying it so far. Um, honestly, so... I know we're not the type of guys who are looking at the 2024, 2025 class coming together, looking at all these recruits. We very much like to look at established recruits and kind of evaluate them a little bit more than projecting to the future. So we were just talking about Troy Bowles, a very big national linebacker recruit, uh, originally from New Jersey. Uh, Huge, huge requirement. Need to get him. Uh, This would continue to build back a room that was kind of decimated by transfers by uh people leaving graduating you had guys like justin hilliard you had guys like tough portland you had guys like pete warner who were incredibly stable in that room um uh, molly garrison the guy you brought up and uh 
that it's incredibly important to rebuild a stable of linebackers like that, where you've got a bunch of four and five star recruits in the room. And I think this is a year they can legitimately get what we got Gabe Powers last year, CJ Hicks last year, uh, both five star recruits. Now you've got the opportunity to get two top 50 linebackers. I think it's an, an incredible one. So the next guy we're going to talk about, Taggett Curtis. Uh, you want to lead the way on him? Yeah, I would just like to say I would love to see Ohio State do what they did last year, but with not Ohio guys, which is yeah. why they're both on my list. And they both – Tackett was not on your list, but it was a, a solid transition. Um, Tackett Curtis is a linebacker. Uh, I think he is the second or third best linebacker in the class. He's number 65 in the class, but he's a linebacker out of Louisiana. Um, he was the first call that um, – our new defensive coordinator made when he got to Ohio state, it was the first offer. Uh-huh. It's someone that he was really big on at Oklahoma state. Um, Jim Knowles got the Ohio state job and said, I want Tackett Curtis. And here's the thing. It seemed to be that there was a chance Tackett Curtis was going to Oklahoma state. So when you have a really good relationship with the coach, opposite of what's happened with AJ Harris and, and, and um, Combs, where you had a good relationship at a coach at a major school, and then he takes a step down, and you have to see if you still want to go that. When you have a great relationship with a coach, and he takes a major step up, he goes from uh, Oklahoma State to Ohio State. That is interesting. That is something you listen to. Uh, you take in that relationship with the coach. You take in the the draft history, all of the things, the chance to win national championships and all that other kind of stuff. So uh, he's a very big recruit. Uh, as we've mentioned many times, Ohio State still needs to build the linebacker room. And I think it's important that this was the first offer for this guy. You know what I mean? Like, and. You can gripe and say whatever you want to of if he should have contacted A.J. Harris first or if he should have did this or that and this and the third. But for him to be the first offer that he made and immediately after he got the job, that means he believes in him. That means he has that type of relationship with him. Um, And so this is a guy I think that we need to get. Also, he's in Louisiana. Like, you don't go to Louisiana and get guys often. Getting a a linebacker out of Louisiana would be a a big statement. I mean, it's the same thing as Especially for a new defensive coordinator at Ohio State. That's like, hey, I don't care where you guys are at. I'm a linebacker's coach at my in my heart of hearts. Like, I'm going to go get the best players that I want to play linebacker for me. Yeah, and, you know, A.J. Harris would be huge. Troy Bowles would be huge. But Ohio State has been on them since they were, like, freshmen. Ohio State has been on Tackett Curtis for three weeks. And if they pull around and get him, it is solely off the strength of Jim Knowles and the power behind what that block of means on your chest. And so he's a very high recruit for me. Um, And obviously he seems to be a very high recruit for Jim Knowles. Yeah, and I think uh, – yeah, you're right. I didn't have him on my initial list. Uh, not because, like, I don't think he's an important recruit. I, I think the reasons Tackett, Curtis, are is important, uh, like you highlighted. Like, this is Jim Knowles' guy. Like, if Jim Knowles could probably land one linebacker in the class, it's like, obviously you'd want Troy Bowles, but I think Jim Knowles wants Tackett, Curtis. Like, this is his guy. He plays linebacker like – he wanted his Oklahoma State linebackers to play. And if you guys want to watch a fun highlight tape 
Tackett Curtis is one because he is a beefy dude and he carries the ball a lot. And he is one of those guys who is just going around and busting heads. And that's what I wanted linebackers. That's what I saw in both the linebackers Ohio State got last year. And I think that's what Tackett Curtis brings. So I think it was a great addition to your list. Uh, It would have been an extreme honorable mention for my list. Uh, But yeah, no, I think the point you made where it's like, I want to see Ohio State land two of the best linebackers in the country, not from Ohio. And I think that would be the statement this makes, going to the Southeast, getting two elite linebackers. Yeah, because at the end of the day, and this is absolutely no shade, because the most important thing in Ohio is getting Ohio recruits. But the three best four of the best Ohio four of the best defensive prospects that we've gotten recently have all been from Ohio. Uh Jack Sawyer, uh Sonny Styles, Gay Powers, CJ Hicks, all Ohio guys. Uh I'm not saying like please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying Ohio State cannot recruit. I'm not saying any of that. All I'm saying is there have obviously been other guys. We like it, it, all, you can you can list all the defensive ends and different stuff also, that we started to get the last couple of classes. It comes back whatever, to but, like what you were saying. Like this is a weaker Ohio class, so this is like an incredibly important recruiting win if you can make it happen. Yeah, and I would. I just say hey, I just want to see it happen. I would love that, and I think these are the types of players that you get when you are trying to. Um, when you're trying to bring back the silver bullets, I mean, a, a, like and two and back to play and back to back classes, getting C.J. Hicks, Gabe Powers, Tackett Curtis, and Troy Bowles, our linebacker core is significantly changed. I mean, it, it is it is you know. I'm not going to say it's what it's used, it, what it would be, because projecting someone to be Raekwon McMillan or Malik Harrison isn't or totally you know fair, but... Ryan Chazier, Ryan Chazier, or any of those guys isn't fair, but it gives us the best chance. Yeah, to hit on one of those great linebackers. Yeah, and it's not like like in the early 2000s, you're getting guys like Bobby Carpenter and AJ Hawk from the area. Like they were made to play linebacker at Ohio State. And even though Taggett Curtis and Troy Bowles aren't from Ohio, they give me that feeling where they're made to play in Jim Knowles' defense. Yep. And so, so cool with uh, I'm, I'm high on both of them. I think it's exciting. We're, think, high, we're high on both of them, honestly. Yeah. It's really uh, – so I kind of want to go let's, – let's do this now. Uh, Ohio kid, uh, this guy, Malik Hartford, Lakota West. Uh, God, who was the Lakota West kid we just got? It was one of the defensive backs. We've had a few Lakota West kids recently. Is it Ryan Turner? Not Ryan Turner. No, was he, Ryan Turner? It was, it was Jair, no, 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 Jair no. Brown. Jair Brown, yes. He came from, from Cincinnati. Yeah. 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 Uh, so Malik Hartford goes to Lakota West. Lakota West has actually been a pretty nice – has had a pretty nice pipeline to Ohio State. He's on both our lists. He's a must-have local elite safety product. Um, so uh, think think uh, Xavier and Wonkpa, uh, but in Ohio. Not really. I don't know if they're the same level of player, to be honest. I haven't done as much research as I should have on Malik Hartford. He got an offer pretty recently. Uh, very talented multi-sport athlete. When I was looking at the sports he played, lacrosse is one of them. And I, I, I'm a, I'm not a big lacrosse guy, but I know it's it's a different type of athleticism than football. So I, I like that. 
Uh, but I mean, the, the the last guy that we had who played lacrosse turned out to be pretty good. So yeah, yeah. take that for what it's worth. As add that to the list of exceptional things about this guy. But yeah, I, I think he's a player he's, that is incredibly like every that it's our top list. So obviously, all these guys are incredibly important. But uh, I, I want to see this. I want to see us get an elite Ohio kid at safety. That's that's what it's all about. If we're being completely honest, he's also six three one seventy five. Yeah, and that that tells me like if so you're six three one seventy five, like he's going to get to two hundred five, and he's going to be a freaking yeah. great <laughs> So so when he's six three two hundred five coming down into the box, like come on now. He's going to take somebody's head off. I think he has a chance to um, get, whether you think it's fair or not, I think he has a chance to get the Ohio State bump. So he's currently 167. I don't know that he'll get to top 100, but I could see him getting up to like 115-ish. When when you get typecasted in recruiting as like a safety or an athlete, it kind of like, makes it a little harder for them to like project you athletically because like corners those are the kids in high school who are running like the four fours like the legitimate laser four fours they're usually the 10 second 100 meter kids like safety is a little bit harder to reject at the next level and that's why you get guys like jordan fuller who are a little bit more undervalued in recruiting and like who was kai stokes is a guy who played safety played a lot of positions and he was in the high high 200s like so I'm not like when I look at safeties, I'm not as concerned about the rankings as like maybe I should be, but he he's a really good football player, and that's kind of he's a good athlete. He just he just plays football the right way, and I think when you come in and you've got positions like cover safety, when you've got this traditional strong safety type position, when you have the free safety position now, like he's one of the guys I could see playing all three, and I think that's something that I could value in a recruit. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that 100%. Um, I just – okay, never mind. I'm not even going to open that, that conversation up. But, yeah, so, um, no, I think he's a good guy. I think he's a good recruit. Like I said, I think he might get the Ohio State bump. But seeing that we need safeties, um, none of our young safeties have broken out yet. This is not to say that they won't, but they have not. Mm-hmm. Um they're going to continue to recruit safeties until they hit. Yeah, and um, they've already got one in the class in Cedric Hawkins from Kakoa, Florida. It could be a very strong safety class. And, like, maybe you don't get the guy who's ranked – you don't get Caleb Downs who's ranked number 11 in the country. But you could get two really solid players, and we've seen it. And Willie Cooker, he was only a four-star recruit. Like, this this happens all the time with the safety position, the misevaluation. So – and then, like, so that's also something. So you're from Ohio. This is something I never really fully understood. There's no spring football in Ohio. Is that still true? Yes. So they have to play other sports. Right. And that um, hurts Ohio prospects, especially when it comes to recruiting. Um, and people, I mean, people don't recruit. Uh, people under-evaluate Ohio prospects a lot. There are prospects that, you know, when you're on a similar level, you kind of get a boost from uh, being in the South just because they see you more 
um, because you can do spring football and you can do some other stuff. And a lot of the camp circuits are in the south, that kind of stuff. So if you're from Ohio or anywhere in the Midwest or East Coast, if you don't have the money to go to all those camps and that kind of stuff. So yeah, it makes it harder. Yeah, um, yep, but no, Ohio does not have spring football right now. So, yeah, that's that's kind of something I was looking in. Like when I see his ranking, I see these other guys from Texas, from Georgia, from another. What, what's with all the Massachusetts guys? All right. That's a conversation for another day. Like Massachusetts all of a sudden having some elite football recruits like. Uh, but, yeah, that's that, some industry had to have opened up there. They had to open up a big Amazon plant or something like yeah. that. Those guys, they're good. They have to be transplants. Yeah. So, yeah, that's funny. But yeah, I think Malik Hartford would be him and him and Cedric Hawkins would be a good class. If like, I see, like I'm looking at 24 seven sports right now and this Caleb Downs guy is warm on everybody. So he's probably going to stay in the South. He's from Georgia, but uh, yeah. So Malik Hartford, on the list, need to get him locked in. Big board. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you cannot lose an Ohio kid. You cannot. In, no. in, like you said, in a weaker Ohio class, you cannot lose an Ohio kid. And they've already lost one, so they have to hit on all the other ones. Yeah. And he's going to Notre Dame. I'm not sure that that kid was ever going to Ohio State. So, like, I'm not saying this is, like, you know, a negative, like, we have to crap on Ohio State or whatever for losing him. Although a lot of people will. I'm, I'm just not sure he was ever going to Ohio State. I'm pretty sure they have that. there's a pretty strong Catholic connection there. And that happens with some guys. But you can't lose another one. All righty. Yeah. So we've got one more in common. And I think we'll save. Uh, we'll, we'll do the ones we got separated kind of in, like, a rapid fire, like, quick conversation here uh but yeah the next one i've got uh, as our same is walker lions the tight end this is a guy you were on a little bit more than me uh it's very rare you see a tight end ranked as high as him and if ohio state can get him in with a relatively thinner room i think you have bennett christian who's uh ready made to contribute tight end right away you get walker lions who's cut from that same cloth where you've got a kid in high school who's not a tight end because he's just a bigger, more awkward athlete, and he's not a tight end because he's too small to play offensive line. He's just one of those guys who's big, he's fast, he's incredibly athletic for his size. Uh, If you get two of those guys in two consecutive classes, that's a success. Yeah. I mean – I, I, we said it before that it's time for Ohio State to recruit tight ends that can do what they want yep. them to do. Let's go, Kevin Wilson. And, Let's make some money. Ohio State, Ohio State has been recruiting tight ends who needed to put on 20, 30, 40 pounds. They've been recruiting tight ends who maybe should have been wide receivers. They've been recruiting tight ends that can't block. And here's the thing. You don't throw to your tight ends. You just don't. And unless that's going to change, which it's not, which is the way uh, Brian Harlan is recruiting, you need to recruit tight ends who are actually tight ends. This kid is 6'4", 230. In high school. He's a tight end. Like, in high school, he's a tight end. You know, like, if he gets to 245, 250, I don't know how big he want him to get. As, like, whatever he, whatever his frame can hold, 6'4". Like, just make him look like Rob Gronkowski, and I'll be happy. Nah, not that big. <laughs> not that big. <laughs> But I think a smooth – I mean, honestly, he could not gain weight at all. He could stay 6'4", 230 and just lower his body fat percentage and turn some of that to muscle and he'd be fine. He's most likely going to gain, you know, 5 to 10 pounds. So he's going to be 235, 240. This is, the guy's a stud. Um so yeah, yeah I, I think this is the guy that – I think this is the guy that Ohio State needs. Um 
he can catch, which is important. At 6'4", he can go up and over people, um, but he also can block. And um, I don't think he blocks as much as Bennett Christian. I'm pretty sure that's all Bennett Christian does. I think Bennett Christian is actually a better prospect than people realize, and they just don't care because he mainly blocks. But, I mean, a combo of those two is going to be – it's going to yeah, be pretty good. Dangerous for years to come. So, yeah, I, I like that one. Uh, for sure needs to be on the big board because I think he's one of those recruits that if you win him, like, he brings value, but he also helps the recruiting ranking. And, like, at the end of the day, you need those guys. Yeah, 100%. All right, so who do we have left here? So, all right, let's go with our offensive tackles. Uh, I've got Chase Basantis. Uh, he's a guy that – Coach Fry is very high on. He wanted, and he was one of the first guys he met with at Don Bosco Prep in New Jersey, if I recall. Yep, in Ramsey, New Jersey. Uh, there's a few tackles you could have on your list. Uh, you've got guys like Peyton Kirkland in Orlando, Florida, who's got an offer from Ohio State. And then we've got who you're going to talk about. So I, I think the general conversation is I think we both want another elite tackle for this class. Yeah, my thing is if you want to get both of them, get both of them because our tackles, honestly, like if you get both of them, allow some of those like number 600 guys to transfer and have some studs and really rebuild the wing. I don't know how many tackles they're going for in this class. Um, I genuinely do think they could probably hold three tackles because the other guy is an interior offensive lineman, uh, not really a tackle. Um, But at the end of the day, my guy is Samson Okunlola. Something something like that. I'm probably saying that a little bit wrong. But the reason why he's on my list, first of all, he's number 38 in the country. It's time. Like, I, like you know, I think that uh, Chase Basanti is a good player. I think that he is the perfect backup option if you do not get Samson uh, or someone better. I think there's room, again, for both of them in this class. But I would like to see us get a top 50 offensive tackle. And the best thing about Samson is, is as we kind of just mentioned earlier, he's from Massachusetts. There are no recruiting ties in Massachusetts. There's no bloodline. There's no none of that. Um, and at the end of the day, as good as he is, is Alabama going to go to Massachusetts when they have a player who's very similarly ranked in their backyard? Is Georgia going to go to Massachusetts? They probably are. Let's be honest. The kid is that good. That's not what I'm trying to say. But how hard are they trying for the kid in Massachusetts when they have that kid in Georgia and Florida and Texas and all those other kind of places? They don't like to go up north. There is absolutely no reason that Ohio State should lose a kid from Massachusetts. Because it, it's just like it's just like Washington. No one goes to Washington. So when Ohio State went to Washington and said, "I want to make a Buka," or, or "I want," um, yeah, I want. Um, I, why am I forgetting his name? JT Tumalau and some of those other guys. No one else is really trying that hard. And the difference between Seattle is Seattle had Oregon. Seattle had UCLA. They had uh, USC. There's no like who who's in Massachusetts. Like, is he going to go to Boston College? Is he, is he going to go to Syracuse? So the mix of him being in Massachusetts, which no one has any tie, there's no anything relatable that says this kid should go to this place. And the fact that he's very highly rated and he's just a guy that we haven't been getting. We, yeah. we have Chase Basanti on the roster. This, like, we get that kid. This guy could be a huge statement for C- Coach Fry. 
coming in immediately. If he, like, honestly, if he gets all three of these guys, I don't think I'll ever doubt Justin Fry for another day in my entire life. And I don't doubt him already. And that's just, that's just recruitment. And I am just so intrigued at this whole Massachusetts thing. Like, next week, we're going to talk about recruits from Massachusetts. That's going to be the whole show. <laughs> I'm down. Just like a real, like a real sicko show. Yeah, like <laughs> these are the best recruits from Massachusetts ever. Here we go. Uh, so, yeah. So, but I, I do want to clarify. I think both of them are good. I'm I'm team get both of them. I understand why you have them on the list. And if this guy wasn't from Massachusetts, I probably wouldn't have been so passionate about it. But you can't lose a guy from Massachusetts. Can't, like come can't on. do it. Uh, so you got one more guy left that I didn't have in Austin Saraveld. Uh, interior offensive lineman. How do you feel about him? I don't have him. Uh, Three forty five. He's the outlier for sure in your ranks. Yeah. Oh, first of all, uh, yeah. So for me. Um, He's on the list because, honestly, Bill Landis said he was on the list. This is right, we, this trust, Ohio we State, trust Bill Landis. Yeah, Ohio State does this every single year. They get it. They take a quote unquote flyer out of Ohio. This is the guy. That's a flyer. It's an interior. Yeah, like it's not. And honestly, I won't even say entirely that he's the flyer because he's much better rated than some of the other flyers. Like he's much better rated than Dewan Jones. He's much better rated than um, I'm losing some names, but you know, y'all know the prospects that we're talking about. Um, who was the one that created a whole bunch of issue last year, and we just had to tell them you're you're creating this issue while Jawan Jones is on the roster. Like Ohio State, we talked about it on the show because they were absolutely tripping. Um, yeah, I can't remember. I can't think of his name. Uh, I'm actually gonna pull it up to actually have two four seven up. So he is the flyer of this class, but he is not a flyer like other classes because he's not in the four five hundreds. He's in the three hundreds, and if he gets to Ohio State bounce, maybe he gets to the two hundred. But uh, essentially. Uh, he's an Ohio kid. He's a top five or six recruit in Ohio. Again, that doesn't say too, too much. He's number seven. That doesn't say too, too much because it's just not that great of a class this year. But um, he's a, he's six foot five, 315. He's projected to play inside, not outside, even though he uh, kind of has tackle height. But I think he... Uh, um, I think he's an important recruit just because we need to continue to build our offensive line. And Ohio State takes flyers every single year. So yeah, every so often. So I, I like that. Uh, I'll just go rapid fire through my last three real quick. I've got Kay and Lee. He just decommitted from Georgia. Uh, this is a guy I think Perry Eliano is very high on. He's going to go after him hard. Uh, so watch out for him. Ohio State, Clemson were the two other people when Kay and Lee committed to Georgia. It's early. I mean, it's still February, so a bunch of other teams could get into play here, but uh, I'm hoping that the initial relationships and initial uh, approaches are part of the reason that Kay and Lee decommitted from Georgia. Uh, The next guy I have on my list is Keith Sampson. He's an interior defensive line prospect. Uh, Highly I've seen him talked about by a lot of the recruiting experts. Uh, I I just put him on here because he's a name I've been seeing thrown around. He's from New Bern, North Carolina. He's got quite a bit of a mixture of schools. He's got Clemson, Florida State, North Carolina State, South Carolina, and Ohio State. I think this is a guy they could legitimately get in on, and he's the 205th best player in the country. Uh, there's a few other guys in that sort of – I think A.J. Hoffler's a guy. He's a three-technique type. Um, 
he we could get a mix for him as well. So the last guy I have on my list is Tamarian Parker. A lot of people have him projected as an edge. And the reason I like him, he's from Alabama. He goes to Central High School in Phoenix City, a big powerhouse in Alabama. And it's a recruitment against Penn State, Tennessee, Alabama, Georgia. It is one of those recruitments where it could go any direction. And I, I just I'm excited to follow it. I don't know if they get him. That's why he's the last guy I had on my big board. But I want to see it. You got other guys like Derek LeBlanc, a few others. Uh, but yeah, I think I think that's our big board. Uh, nothing really more to say on those guys. I haven't done much research into them. Uh, but they yeah. would fill out the class extremely well. Yep. Uh, and the guy that I was talking about was Avery Henry, who is number seven hundred five in the nation. Um, this guy is high three hundreds or yeah. So he's three forty five. So that's a half of a prospect better in rankings three forty five versus seven hundred five. So he's still a flyer of sorts, but he is not a, a quote unquote scrub. He is not someone that would make Ohio State fans angry. Nope. That's Austin Searveld. Uh, but yeah, I think your list is good. I had never heard of Tamarian Parker to be completely honest. Um, I didn't. Put any defensive lineman on my list if you can tell because I mean while we're gonna get defensive linemen it's just freaking it's an incredible I don't, hard I don't read. care he's I, I think it's a hard read in the position it's freaking stacked Mike Hall was a top fifty guy and barely touched the field yeah. you have Tyleek Williams who came out of nowhere like it's yeah I mean we'll see I mean there's a Hayden Curry like a lot of JT, Jack Sawyer sure. I I don't care who they recruit like. I just want to see the guys that are already there. I'm lying. I do care, but like I want to see the guys that are there. That's I didn't put no defense in my mind. So that's our big board. Uh, we've got some stuff to get off our chest. Like uh, the stupidest thing I've ever read. I think I read a couple of days ago. Uh, maybe it was yesterday. I don't know. It's been a while. It's been a long, been a long day. Uh, been a long week actually with all all the stuff going on. Uh, we're talking about recruiting, but uh, now we're talking about why some people should not have jobs writing articles as professionals. And if you put columnist next to it, it's an opinion piece and it's made to be thought about, but that's not true. So I'm, I'm name dropping here. Dan Wetzel of Yahoo sports wrote the stupidest article I have ever read in my entire life. Uh, I quote tweeted it, go check out at bug off pod. It's quote tweeted. I called it stupid online. I disagree with everything he said in it, and me and Jordan read through it together before the show started. Uh, so the premise of the article is this. The alliance surrendered its CFP power to the SEC, so why would kings of college football be accommodating in next expansion talk? So first off, I don't want to hear this kings talk. Uh, the Big Ten is more valuable. The Big Ten makes more money than the SEC. And when the TVD deals come on, uh, the kings of college football are the ones who get the bread. Um uh, the SEC has Georgia, they have Alabama, and I will hear your arguments for the occasional LSU team every five years. But outside of that, their conference is not good. They have talent in the region, and they still cannot win. So you tell me that. But this is a college football expansion conversation, and it made me upset. Um, not in an angry way, but in a utter stupidity way. And Jordan, you agree with me on this. Uh the Alliance didn't give up their power. Because the Alliance no, isn't even an entity at this point. It's 
here's the thing. The funny thing is the Alliance all may have voted no, potentially. That's what we're hearing. But they didn't vote no because of the alliance. They all voted no for their own selfish reasons. Yeah, exactly. To be completely honest. So, and all of the reasons are different. Quick rundown. So it's like, uh, the Pac-12 voted no because they just didn't like the way it was set up with how they had the conference champions, the highest ranked conference champions thing. The ACC had some issues with something in tra- – a bunch of made-up stuff, right? It's Bob. Um, their commissioner said – they had some internal issues with some of their schools not agreeing with the expanded playoff because of student health issues. And the Big Ten just said no because they don't want it to be an ESPN propaganda machine. So, yeah, uh, that's kind of where I'm at. That's a history lesson, quick rundown for you guys. But what what is the biggest issue with this, Jordan? What, what do you feel with that? The biggest issue is the implication um, that the SEC runs college football. Like there are just certain wordings in this, like the the you know the playoff expansion that the SEC offered, or why would the SEC do this? I mean, literally, the guy says the SEC uh, a sixteen team playoff of only SEC teams is going to generate one billion dollars by itself when the SEC regular season the entire deal was three billion dollars for 10 years or whatever so why would a playoff of only SEC teams that's most likely only going to go to ESPN generate a billion dollars that for one is stupid the football is still regional while the SEC has some sort of power no one watches the SEC consistently outside of teams in the south like I like the Big Ten if it's Mississippi State versus Florida, I'm going to watch the Big Ten game. Yeah, if Alabama's absolutely. playing, maybe I'll watch that. If Georgia's playing, maybe I'll watch that. Well, but if it's not those two, I'm not watching Arkansas versus Tennessee. I'm so, watching Iowa versus Rutgers or whatever. So that like that and, that alone doesn't make sense. And to add to that, like the reason a lot of people – so when you look at the ratings each week, there's a really big SEC game. There's a really big Big Ten game. There's a really big – hey, you like – relative ACC, Pac-12, Big 12 game, depending on who's playing. And it's because of the television windows. There's always going to be one marquee matchup in each television window that's going to get good ratings from each conference. You put a elite SEC game on at 8.30 p.m., it's going to get a 10.1 rating. If you put an elite Big 10 game on at that time, it's probably going to get a 10.1 rating unless – but when I look at TV value, when I look at the games over the last decade, the biggest games always have Ohio State. They always have Michigan. They always have Notre Dame. They always have Nebraska's in a lot of them, surprisingly, given their record. It's because college football it doesn't just mean stuff in the South. There is this, there's this undertone in this article that college football only matters to Southern teams. And that's kind of, I think, what made me so mad about it. Yeah, and there's this undertone that the SEC would be better off without the rest of college football. Maybe, maybe. Maybe but they the would be better term. off without the Big Ten. No. And when you start negotiating TV deals as just the SEC, it takes away a lot of the, the negotiating power. Like, we're paying to put your conference on TV, and you have to consistently put a product out that gets us the ratings that gives you the value. Yeah. The reason if they uh, the alliance say – continues and they do schedule some out of conference games in spite of the SEC 
it's going to get higher ratings people want to see Ohio State versus USC. People want to see Ohio State versus Oregon, which those games are going to happen regardless. If the SEC goes and does this solo thing, guess what? They're going to be playing each other over and over again, and those are going to grow stale. And over time, there's not going to be any freshness. And if you get rid of bowl games, then the SEC is not going to have the national travel to go and earn fans in other places because that still impacts. Like That's why the Big Ten and Pac-12 played each other for so long in the Rose Bowl. There's like so many historical things that come into play with this that like aren't even being considered in this article. And that's what it's all future tense. It's all what could be. It's all this stuff. But it's stupid. There is three years until expansion needs to happen. There is a lot that can change. And that's why this article is incredibly dumb. I mean, it's incredibly dumb for a lot of reasons. But, like, we can even continue with that. Look at the viewership of the all-SEC all SEC championship games lowest, compared to other ones. Lowest in half a decade. It's low. People don't want, people don't want to watch that. Like, they, they just don't. Like, they don't want to watch the Alabama-Georgia rematch. And the SEC is not as strong as a conference as people think because no conference is that strong. It's just high at the top. Nobody cares about Ole Miss. Ole Miss, people kind of talk about because of Mike Leach and how people don't like him. Mississippi State is cute, but they haven't won. Arkansas was a good story, but how long until we don't care about Sam Pittman no more? No one cares about Tennessee. No one cares about, like... Uh, Vanderbilt, like there's a lot, and, and you can say the same thing about the Big Ten. But the difference with the Big Ten is we recognize that no one cares about Rutgers. People still try to pretend that people care about Vanderbilt, and people no care about South Carolina. Carolina. No one cared about South Carolina until Shane Beamer was like, "Hey, we lost because they have better recruits," and it went viral, largely because of Ari Wasserman. Like no one cares about those teams. No one's cared about South Carolina since they had Jadavian Clowney. So it's just like no one's gonna watch an all SEC anything. Everyone needs everyone, and ultimately, and the let's, biggest... let's look at this. So, the big cities that Ohio, the Big Ten has: New York City, Columbus, Ohio, Chicago, Illinois, Detroit, Michigan. Those are million plus top fifteen cities Washington, in the United States. Washington D.C. The whole metroplex of that area, the whole DMV, they have that all. Like I mean, even Minnesota, Minneapolis is a major, is Martin, a major city. A top twenty population city. Uh, Wisconsin has Milwaukee. Like that is those are big TV markets relative to sites. Like the SEC doesn't have a single market like that. They have Nashville. They have some in Florida, uh, but it's all they spread out. Atlanta. Atlanta, that's their biggest one. And Atlanta is a huge market. But like you said, when it comes down to national stuff, like. No one outside of the Southeast really cares about Georgia. Yeah. And the the biggest thing, and one of the big things is, you don't want the SEC running or controlling anything because the SEC signed itself up for two bad deals because they didn't try to hit the open market, which is stupid. Yeah. They, they locked themselves in for like 15 years with CBS. And I understand that some of that was a part of the times. And I actually randomly follow a lot of TV stuff on the athletic and stuff. I'm actually like decently knowledgeable about it. And I understand some of it was the time and different things like that. But they locked themselves into a bad CBS contract, immediately came out of it and said, hmm, let's not go open market. Let's only sell our stuff to ESPN. And sure, 10 years, $3 billion sounds good. But wait till you see what the Big Ten gets. Yeah. When the Big Ten is split between market. Fox and multiple other ones. Like, Make some debate the deals. And, 
And so the Big Ten, the SEC would have done the same thing and their supposed thing. They probably would have just sold it to ESPN and got an extra $500,000 or something stupid. Like part of the, I think one of the things that people are forgetting the most with expansion because it's not fun to talk about. A lot of people want this to wait because they want the deal to hit open market. If they expand it now, it has to go to ESPN. If you wait till it hits open market, everyone can be involved. And that's where, and, the, that's where the power comes in. If you want to be part of an incredible amount of money where the highest bidders are creating a playoff system that is going to net everybody significantly more money than a billion dollars. Yeah, you get a billion dollars yeah. for 16 teams, which is an incredible amount of money. But if you get that type of money for uh, 12 teams across the five conferences on that TV deal, and when it's all – like, because at the end of the day, we know what college football is all about. It's always been this way. It's all about bottom line mo- monetary figures and staying united. And that's the point this guy misses. That's the point Dan Wetzel misses. Yeah. Is the value of the open market is so exponential, and we're going to see it with the Big Ten negotiations. And honestly, all of the SEC has missed it, and that's an issue because they're being run by ESPN. And so, ultimately, at the end of the day, the other thing, right? Let's take let's just take a quick second to talk about TV. What's happening right now on TV? Every single big TV company is coming together, like they're what's the word? They're becoming conglomerates. Conglomerates, well, there's only a couple. Yeah. And then every single one of them now has a streaming service. You know yep. what moves streaming services? It's not the TV shows. It's, it's putting people. live sports yep. on them. So when it comes up, they're going to have ESPN, ESPN, ABC, Disney. They're going to have Fox. They're going to have NBC, Peacock. They're going to have CBS. What is, which one is CBS? Is? Uh, Paramount Plus. Whatever. Paramount. They're going to have uh, Paramount Plus. Amazon is going to be five years into streaming with with uh, and the NFL. There's only so much they can get out the NFL market. Whether you want Amazon to have college football or not, after five years of having the smallest piece of the NFL, you don't think they're going to try to get in? On college football, once they realize it works and they have a stable and they had they know like Amazon for the, the last couple of years has been doing joint broadcasting with other services because they didn't have the budget or the people or the camera crews and that kind of stuff. Once they have that and they have a schedule and they know how to do it, you think they're not going to come into college Absolutely. football? It's- ESPN Plus is still going to want a piece, even though I said ESPN. All of these things are going to want a piece and it's going to make it explode. Yeah, and it, it's it, like the only thing that really brings money to television networks now is live sports. It is the most valuable asset in TV. Live sports and news and any, anything you can't rewatch over and over again is the one thing that brings the most value. Yeah, and that's why uh, you see a million and a million and a half Hulu has live sports. So um, the article is dumb. The premise was dumb. The over overreaching on how much power the SEC has is dumb. Uh, also, as we just keep coming up with things, these new commissioners are going to be three, four, or five years into their job. There may have been there may have been a part of it where they just didn't want to make that decision as yeah. a new commissioner as a year in. Kevin Warren, unless he goes to the NFL, five or six years in, right off of a pandemic. Uh, George Klyovkov four or five years in. Uh, Jim Phillips, four or five five years years in. That is also going to lessen the SEC's impact because they're going to be more emboldened and they're all going to have 
done, redone a TV contract of their own. And they're all going to have done these things and made these inroads and built these relationships and all of this kind of stuff that they're going to have an equal footing at the table that they don't have right now. When they re-go to the table, it's not going to be... Um, it's not going to be a small group of four. They're going to learn from that mistake and at least have a representative from every conference, plus yep. Notre Dame. So they're probably going to have nine representatives. Like this whole thing is going to change. This is not going to be some power strategy by the SEC. The guy's an idiot. This is yeah. what it is. He's an and, idiot. Yeah. At the end of the day, like it's the same thing. Like everyone was ready to make this move. The SEC went and did something selfish to get. Texas and Oklahoma stabbed everybody in the back and destroyed the value of whatever they had built up. So, realistically, I think Greg Sakey is a selfish asshole, and I think he does jobs in the best interest of his t- people in the short term. And people feel very, like they they feel very passionate the SEC about him being the best commissioner. Uh, the thing is, we learned a lot from Jim Delaney over his decades in charge of the Big Ten, and it's that. Being second, being not on the field or in, in sports and stuff, but being second in negotiations, you know, not locking yourself in for 15 years, uh, doing those types of things, you're going to get more money for your schools. You're going to get more money for all these people. And, and as much as I hate to bring this up, outside of Vanderbilt and a couple of the, the – Outside of Vanderbilt, the endowments of the SEC schools don't come close to the state research institutions of the Big Ten, and they don't come close to the alumni mm-hmm. of the Big Ten. So the money and the TV contract's going to be less too. So yeah, and the money is it's just the money's different in Big Ten country, and that's just it's just factual statements, and it's not to like embolden this group of this group thinking. It's just the truth, and that's what Dan Wetzel missed in this article. And that's why it's the dumbest thing I've ever read. There's so many dumb things. Like, I honestly think we could do a whole podcast just dissecting this article and talking about how stupid it is. Yeah, because every time we said something, I, I thought of something dumber. else, or you thought of something else. It's just like, it just kept getting dumber. But yeah, and uh, he's like, let's, if you ever, uh, and this is like, I, I, I'm not the, I'm not the most affluent writer. I don't have like the biggest following as a writer. But if you ever put, for argument's sake, for the sake of argument, or for argument's sake, in your article, I'm not taking you serious at all, because that literally <laughs> means you're just writing to throw shit at the wall and hoping it sticks. Yep. Ex- explicit like content needed, warning yeah, for the last five minutes of the like, show. Your uh, your editor said you needed something, and you were just like, "All right, here's literally anything." Yeah, and that's that's. I'm what just gonna I'm like. just gonna write something and get it out. So you know. Uh, all right, so you know how the Associated Press is like, like put that our article out about how Max Scherzer showed up in a Porsche, and it just totally felt like the, <laughs> the Associated Press is being a mouthpiece for the MLB owners. Yeah, that's exactly what this article felt like for Greg Sankey. Like it literally felt like Greg Sankey wrote this article as like a think piece. The funniest thing about it, though, is I bet Greg, Greg Sankey read it and was like, this guy's an idiot. Yeah, and that's because Greg Sankey is the dumbest we made him see here, but... Like, I mean, he's not that dumb. It, like, it was it was pretty smart to get Texas and Oklahoma, although he could have left Texas. It was it, it was dumb to only go to ESPN, though. That was yeah. dumb. You do that when you were in a bad contract and you want to make more money. That was stupid. Yeah. That was just really, really dumb, because... 
and that, their deal may go up a little bit because right now it's for 14 teams so it may get a minor increase when they go to 16 because it'll start before yeah. that but like that was, that was dumb but like he is and like Texas's Longhorn Network money's already like involved so it's like really what are we doing here yeah. Like you, so it's like, you, I mean, nah. it's all complicated. I, I'm not, I'm not paid enough to go much deeper into this and do like eight think pieces on this article. But I will say, it did, it did, it was a little bit of a thorn in my side on a Wednesday night this week. Oh, but yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, we went pretty long with uh, two topics, so. Uh, Hey, quick hits. Uh, what is your main off-season hobby? And now that we're kind of in the deep, in the deep blue sea of the off-season, I don't have an off-season hobby. Uh, like this is not meant to be a joke. I have no idea what I do. Like every off-season, I'm like, what do I do in the off-season? It'll be a little different now because I'm in school and I'm planning a wedding. Um, I'll tell you one thing: I hang out with my fiance more in the off-season. Uh, not that we don't hang out during football season, but like I'm always watching football, and so unless she wants to like sit and watch a football game with me, so like we you know do more stuff in the off season. Um, uh, I don't think yeah, but like I think the podcasting thing really is kind of my hobby. Outside of that, it's just kind of whatever happens. I try to travel, but I'm planning a wedding, so I'm not going to be traveling that much. Um. Yeah, I don't really have a good hobby. I'll be in school, so I mean, yeah, you know, I'll be doing homework. And it's funny you say that. The psychopath in me, the hobby switches from college football to college basketball. <laughs> so I, I don't get into college basketball. So I, so. I'm a little bit of a psych- my off season really doesn't start to like June, which is why I don't want to have spring football uh, because I'm not going to watch that anyways. But I play video games. I do all the normal guy stuff. But you're right. I think I should add hanging out with my girlfriend more to the list, and that's. It'll be the hobby. College basketball and that, and we're good to go. Uh, but, yeah. 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 I mean, that was a fun show. I think we got into a lot. Uh, our recruiting expertise, we got to flex a little muscle there. I hope you guys enjoyed spending time with us. I Honestly, when I made the show plan, I didn't think we were going to get to an hour and a half. But uh, You should have known. We, say, uh, we, 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 yeah. we, we, we took off the... Uh, always. We took off the spring football thing, and I think we can talk about that more next week. But the one thing that I'll say is this about that. The only thing I have to say, spring football would work. Spring football would work if they did it like the G League. And yeah, it will never work unless the NFL buys into it. I'm not saying they need to have 32 teams and they need it to be um, – because I don't even think the G League fully has 30 teams yet. But if teams bought in and made it a minor league system and the NFL helped fund it, uh, I think that is when it would be most successful. Because honestly, it is a good thing. Because think about it, right? Your guys who are on the practice squad who do absolutely nothing but be punching bags, you never get to see them play. I yeah. mean, your backup quarterbacks, your young quarterbacks, you never get to see them play because the NFL's rules, because of the Players Association, are so strict. They don't practice that much. There's no reps. So think about it as a Colts fan, right? If the Colts had uh, a G League team, right, a- another team, Jacob Eason, who got like two snaps all season and is still healthy, he could Just, be playing for a team right now and you could evaluate him. Um, they could do what the NBA, which they actually did disagree to this. You can do what the NBA did for a while and it actually worked. They tested rules and that kind of stuff. Um, and 
I mean, uh, what is his name? The quarterback, I think he went to um, P.J. Walker. He balled out in the summer league, and he ended up playing some NFL games, and now he'll probably stay as a backup for a while. So I don't think it'll ever work until you, one, get the right people leading it, and the WWE is not the right people. But ultimately, it is the right people. Yeah, but ultimately it needs to have buy-in from the NFL. It needs to be linked to the NFL, which is what happened. Once the once the NBA bought into the G League, it has become a thing. They even have new rules, the 10-day contracts, the two-way contracts, all of that kind of stuff. And now it's something that's never going to go away, and they keep evolving it. Like Absolutely. You now have like all of the, the players who decided not to go to college and just went to the G League, like now it's actually viable. So spring football will work, but not until the NFL buys into it. Yeah, That's I my agree. final thought. So yeah, so you got so I, I like your NBA example and I'm gonna add to that final thought. The best part, you know the basketball tournament, we did our first instant recap shows with it. What'd they do? They leaned so aggressively into the alumni like Hey, you're an Ohio State fan. We've got an Ohio State team in this. You're going to root for them just like you used to. I can't see that happening with football. So they really do only have that one option, and that's the NFL buying in and making it a true developmental league. And I think you, I think that's the only way it's ever successful. The USFL is going to fold immediately. I think the USFL gets two to three years maximum because it's it no like so. And then this part, people like basketball, people like baseball, people love football, but. It really is hard because the only reason I root for the Browns and watch the Browns every Sunday is because it's been decades of fanhood built up to it, you know? Like, that. my grandpa was a Browns fan. My dad was a Browns fan. I'm a family-long Browns fan. So, like, that's – like, most people who like the NFL, it's because of the generations of history in that. And you just don't have that with a new league. Which is which is also where a tie into the NFL would work, work yeah. because if you tell if you told Browns fans, hey, you what is that what what is that one wide receiver that Browns fans love who just doesn't play a lot? Uh, Schwartz, yeah, Mitchell, Anthony Schwartz, or, or something like if that. If you tell if you tell Browns fans that instead of seeing Anthony Mitchell or whatever, uh, like ten for like you know three times in sixteen games, you get to watch him be the best wide receiver on the team for eight straight games, yeah. and get excited for the season. They're gonna do it. I'm telling you, if they tied it to the NFL and they did it the right way, like they did, I mean. It's the proof is in the pudding. The G League, I don't even remember what the G League was called before that, but when the, the G-, G League had a bunch of random when they had a bunch of random teams and only one or two NBA franchises was bought in, it was nothing. Yep. They got the Gatorade sponsorship, everyone tied in, and now it's actual actually functional. And I'm from Canton, so we had a G League team. They I think they still do the Canton Charge. Yep. I used to go to those games and some of those guys not long term, but some of those guys got to go to the Cavs here and there and stuff like that. Like, it just it won't work until the NFL buys in, and the NFL has no reason not to buy in because their rosters are so small; they don't get any practice time. Sign a two way contract. Your practice squad players who get two hundred thousand dollars for sixteen weeks need the money anyway. Let them go over there, but keep the contract with you, and boom. Yep. And unless that happens, it's going to fail. And that's all I yep. got for today. Uh, so uh, we can find you. Where can we find you on social media, Jordan? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at JordanW330. Uh, check me out. I have not been tweeting as much because 
the offseason sucks and fans get miserable. But once there's some more content, I will be back on there in full force. Yep. Uh, yep, and you guys can find me at Chris Rennie CFP. You can follow the show at Bugout Pod. Uh, hope that you guys enjoyed the show today. Uh, we gave you a lot of names to look up. And as I said, we're only recruiting experts when we get it right. So everything on this show comes with an asterisk. You can look up. And that's the best way to end the show. Bill Bucks. Adios, guys.